Hello, Marv. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, wrestling a cat slightly here. Wrestling a cat. <laughs> a good, I mean, that's a good thing about having a Patterdale Terrier is that he, they're not particularly cuddly dogs, or he's not a particularly cuddly dog. So you pick him up, he sort of goes into a form of rigor mortis. <laughs> he wants to be near you. He, he wants to be around. He certainly doesn't want to be left, but he definitely doesn't want to be cuddled. So I don't have to do much wrestling. Oh, that's well. Percy does like to be uh, involved in everything, but he also he quite likes uh, play fighting involving biting. Right, and he really wants to be bitten back. And I feel oh, I've, not yet, I've not yet got to that point. No, I, I engage in 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 mutual <laughs> fighting with a cat. Uh, yeah, you know, I can. <laughs> that time may come ten years down the line. Yeah, and, and there'll be signs, won't there? So I know that I need to find a phone number to call or something for you yeah, when exactly. it comes to biting the cat back. <laughs> yeah. um, so so we missed a week. We did. We missed a week because I went off to Vienna on a corporate jaunt. Oh, very nice. Which was a hell of an experience, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But how have you been? Has, has there been anything interesting in the world of Marv? I know there usually is. Um, I tell you what, I went to an amazing, I went to an amazing night out in a 17th century house without any electricity um and there was a poet and oh. a singer um and it was just one of those things where if you tried to reproduce it you just would never get it right right um, it was just the, the it was a beautiful kind of sunlit evening sun streaming through the the the, the, the window it was just like so i feel like i spent a saturday evening in another world that does um, sound amazing which 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 was amazing um and actually one of the things that did strike me which i did think was something uh to be mentioned uh possibly was the the, the poet is is a very highbrow chap and the singer is most emphatically not right <laughs> she's 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 very jolly okay and i was thinking this is quite an unusual pairing, a really thoughtful poet talking about refugees and things like this. Yeah. A, a really jolly woman singing a song about a bloke she picked up in a bar in Dublin. And That's funny. I thought maybe we need more of this. Maybe we need more mixture of the solemn and the jolly. That's a thought. Yeah, I think we do because it's something about that which is finding commonalities isn't there yeah you talk about it there as if there's going to be nothing in common and that's not going to be the same but actually there will be a lot of places where those people do find connection with each other absolutely clearly because this event has happened yeah yes and also in a totally genius way um they managed to pick up from one one item to the other um and it somehow came together and i was slightly without being pretentious i was slightly uh, uh remembering how things are in shakespeare right. where you've got um in the middle of macbeth you've suddenly got a porter making a whole load of rather crass jokes yeah and um uh you know the, the old thing about a pantomime containing something for the dads i was thinking that we're possibly are we are we perhaps a bit purist and saying um things have got to be one thing or another when they might just be kind of a good mixture i think you're absolutely right <laughs> you know um what that makes me think of actually is my stepson 
who is dinosaur obsessed. I, I mean, not even obsessed. I think, what would the word be? He he identifies on a molecular level with dinosaurs. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's, it's a different level of love. And so there's a great deal of dinosaur content that goes on yeah. in our house. And some of that dinosaur content is is the Lego Jurassic World. Fantastic. Film. And I have to say, when this was first requested, I had to try really hard to park the eye roll. Yeah. Because how could such a thing ever be good? Yeah. And it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Cause, yeah. Because they've they've been fairly true to the original content. It's uh, witty. It's full of good jokes. It's also very silly. They've gamified parts of it. Some of the fights between dinosaurs, they've used like video game mechanics and visuals in terms of like life going down and energy and controls to be used and, and, and how much like life everyone has. And it's just a really, really well packaged thing. And I think, I think that makes an important point to, to your point as well about, I think sometimes some of the cultural snobbery. Yep. That, that we have about things. And, and I'm reminded there again of um, Voltaire of Candide. Yeah. And what's one of the early lines of that about his tutor giving the maid a, a lesson in experimental physics or something like that? I can't remember yeah. the exact phrase, but, but it's clear that the tutor's shagging the maid. Yeah. Right? But the way he puts it is so eloquent, but it's also about something so silly. So there is a great deal of relatability in between the two and I don't think we do necessarily have to have one without the other no you know even even it's fairly what we see as highbrow items can call on those mundane aspects of everyday life Mm. and actually if we can call something purely highbrow or high cultural whatever it is is it maybe missing a human element yes I think that's very true I mean I mean this partly gets into one thing I know I've probably mentioned before is about how I hate books which have no humour in them at all. Yeah. Because I don't think that human beings can live without humour. I think we need it as much as we need oxygen. Yes, yes, yes. And um, it, it, obviously, because of my background, I'm particularly anti the ones I call rural miserablists, yeah. where where people are doing tasks, rural tasks like shearing or, 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 or getting harvesting, and nobody cracks a joke. And right. this is completely unrealistic. Right. Humour is so necessary for a joint agricultural task to be completed. It's almost more important than having a, pick, uh, 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 a pitchfork um, to have a joke to get the harvest mm-hmm. through. And, and um, so that, there's that. But the other thing I think is possibly, and getting back to Voltaire and the whole kind of enlightenment thing, it's part of our problem that we try to categorise things too much. Yes. And that's something that we, you know, that comes out of the sort of scientific way of thinking about things, maybe. Um, and so we immediately say, ah, this evening in La Sanis, was it a jolly evening with Maya or was it uh, a life-changing ev- evening mm. with Ivar? Yeah. Couldn't it be both? That calls up uh, the beginning of The Hobbit, actually, when Gandalf says good morning and Bilbo replies with, is it a good morning or is it a morning to be good on? 
yeah, yeah, oh, no, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Yes. But Bilbo yes. says, "Good morning, Gandalf." Challenges it, uh, and and it says something like, "Or is it all of those?" And then, and then Bilbo's very confused. Um, I, I agree with you about labels. I think that well, look, here's the thing. I'd like to say that it's a problem with today's culture, but but of course it's not because a human animal just isn't any different now than yeah. it was six, eight hundred years ago, a thousand years yeah. ago, whatever. I think we've always done it. We've done it about different things. Yeah. And I think we we do it now on a micro level, whereas before maybe we did it on a macro level 500 years ago where you were Catholic or a Protestant. Yeah. And that yeah. was your defining factor. I think we do it now largely where science has moved on, particularly with diagnoses. We see it a lot in mental health, especially. Yeah. And I have problems with the rate of diagnosis actually yeah. uh, and the rate of diagnosis of what i see is normal human emotions yes and i think we have a risk here so so anxiety and depression are the the big examples yeah and anxiety and depression at a clinical level are real diseases mm. and are devastating awful yes. things and and in some if they're at the clinical level can make people risk themselves and others and do need to be medicated indisputable fact I think that a lot of what we see actually is medicalization of fear and sadness. Yeah. yeah now, fear and sadness are not the same as clinical anxiety and depression. And yeah. I think it's dangerous to take someone who is anxious, fearful, because yeah. they are potentially in a bad situation. Yeah. And tell them that that's a medical problem. Yes. yes. Because then actually that disempowers them from addressing the fact that their boss is awful. Yeah. That they maybe have done enough life planning and therefore, you know, need to pay more attention to how they secure their future. Yeah. Or, for example, someone is depressed because their relationship is not good. Yeah. So do you want to diagnose them with a serious clinical illness, tell yeah. them that they're not well mm. and put them down a medicalized framework? Yeah. As opposed to getting them to look at their life in a proactive, productive way yes. and make some changes to not feel sad. I think that's I think that's absolutely spot on, and I think this is this is where I have a, an interest, a sort of observer's interest in what I might call I suppose you call therapeutic outcomes. Yeah, I don't care if you go to see somebody who makes you walk around with a lime leaf on your head, if they tell you that it makes you stronger and braver and that makes you stronger and braver, yeah. yeah, and you can live your life better, admittedly with a hat so people don't notice the lime leaf. Yeah. Sure. And and I I I do think just because we understand that certain chemicals do have some impact on the brain, um I think there's a huge tendency to assume that that means that we can take steps to slay some of the dragons of human existence like unhappiness and and um you're absolutely right the the course of action that someone needs to very often be guided towards is trying to do things that make their life better right rather than and, and, right. and in some instances you will need to medicate right if people are yeah. got to a point where yeah. they are at risk to themselves or they really can't function they they can't sleep they can't operate then, then for a short term or even a yeah. longer term depending on the severity of the condition you may need to medicate but i think that the medicalization of people experiencing 
normal reactions to abnormal situations yeah is is a real mistake yeah yeah and, and could be costing people their self-development i mean i've got a i've got a book here which is called real poems for unreal times and i've lent it out to so many people yeah. because it's full of poems that you read when you're heartbroken when you're bereaved yeah when you're ill yeah. and they make you feel better on a human level yeah because uh you know they could sometimes just put the way poets can just crystallize experience in such a way that you feel less alone and um and the other thing i i i'm uh always conscious about is what i suppose i would call evolutionary tiggerism right and i don't know that being always cheerful um is a good evolutionary strategy it's not and possible. i certainly know and we, we've talked about this before uh, about my my idea about about anxiety being a really useful evolutionary yeah. tool um life-saving and, and also i wonder um i wonder whether since many many jobs are now a lot safer and the premium for physical bravery has greatly gone down yeah um are we getting to a point where um there's no evolutionary advantage to breeding with someone who's super physically brave anymore because he's not going to earn more because he's better at hunting mm. bears than everybody else and so maybe we're now reaching a level uh of almost natural anxiety in the sense that if the if there's no longer an evolutionary advantage so that the super brave breed more um maybe as a as a group we're all becoming more anxious because anxious people have more of a chance to breed in a safer society i think that's i think that could partly be true i think it could partly be true i think we've also had the the conversation in an earlier episode where i hypothesize that there is a threshold in, in the human psyche, a tolerance that needs to be met for adversity. Yeah. And where that adversity isn't present in the environment, I think that it's possible that the mind can come up with it for itself. Yes, I think that's I think that's highly likely. And, and, and just present that adversity in a different way, yeah. which of course, if it's not there in the environment, will be from an internalized source because yeah. the mind has to come up with it. And I'm an example of that. Okay. So I am highly accomplished in many many ways that's a fact yeah I and I know that uh, and the, a lot about my life is very very successful got a lovely partner great friends fantastic job I'm also in CBT for crippling anxiety yeah crippling yeah. self-esteem problems it, it, yeah. in the face of all that evidence yeah so I think also that there is a cost to imagination yes Yes, that, that will come back and get you as well. And I think that for people who really look at things and seek answers and, and have paid attention to themselves and started this process of self-actualization, where you're like, oh, let's look at me in balance and mm. what bits need to be better. I think that can also become the snake eating its own tail a little bit as well. Yeah. In that suddenly yeah. then you start to pull in doubts where perhaps you don't need to. 
Yes. That's so it's yeah. a double-edged sword. It's a strength as well, right? Because my anxiety drives me on to be better because I'm always going, well, I'm not bloody good enough. Yeah. So come on more. Yes. And that's a good thing because you've got to get your get up and go from somewhere. Yes. and But then I, it can also get yeah. really out of hand. I think... I think another thing that we have, and imagination feeds into this seriously, but we also have information overload, don't we? And Yeah, know, remember when we thought that lack of access to information was the cause of ignorance? Ex- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't true, was it? Uh, and one of the wisest and most balanced of my children um, used to diagnose herself off the internet and... It was never less than a brain tumour. Oh, I've done that plenty of times. Got a brown spot on my arm, going to die next week. Yeah. It's melanoma. Um, and, it was um, eczema. I, I mean, I'm always, I was a uh, funny family story about this. My my dad, who was always very healthy, collapsed one day at school, was taken to hospital. And uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatitis. And um, my mother got down her medical textbook from her nursing time. It said pancreatitis. Patient dies within two to three days in unbearable agony, right? And my mother was, of course, in absolute fits of horror. Sure. And my brother Martin said, look, first thing, let's just physically look at this book. It's on utility paper, mum, because it was printed during the war. Yeah. Now, let us... Also, ring our GP and find out if there have been any serious breakthroughs in pancreatitis in the last 30 years. Which in that book would have been called the flopsy or something like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and so so what I like about that is it's 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 about information and how you handle it. Sure. Um, and um, in fact, uh, you know, my father made a complete recovery, la de la. Um, but... Um, we have so much information, but we've got very little information on how to deal with that information, if that makes sense. Oh, completely. And I think that that relates to how we identify with the world and how good humans are at creating patterns, spotting patterns, and then making associations. Yeah. Which is part of the reason we're so successful. It's part of the reason that driverless cars haven't taken off yet, because it turns out, although there are a lot of accidents, human beings are just really good yeah. at gauging distance, spotting gaps, yeah, multitasking, coordinating activities. We're yeah. good at that. Not not that you believe that from seeing some of the drivers around here, but we are. And I think therefore that information handling can go awry, like you've said. So say for example, you see a list of five symptoms on the internet yeah and you think well I can relate to three of those yeah so then you're worried yeah and then you make that association and then you started to identify with that thing I, I think that that counts for mental illness as well as yeah. physical illness um because you get a list of things that, that could be all sorts of stuff I mean the amount of people diagnosing themselves as psychopaths because they can't feel any emotion they're just depressed yeah 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 yeah. Because if you realise you don't have any emotions, you're not a psychopath. Yes. It means you've got something to compare yes. it to. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, a, a, a true psychopath won't realise that maybe until later. And then actually generally tend to develop kind of quite good empathy by proxy skills because they then learn to observe and, you know, work out what makes other people tick. So if you're out there concerned that you don't have any emotions, you, you probably, you know, should talk to someone about depression, yeah. feelings of low mood. 
so it's easy i think for people to make those mistakes and particularly as the internet tends to throw you back the most extreme version yeah of things you know for example if you um type into the internet that you've oh i don't know i don't know behave not very well it's very easy to diagnose yourself with a personality disorder for oh, example yeah, yeah. um whereas actually not all behavior has to be pathologized you know it's perfectly possible to be a bit of a git and not have anything wrong with you well it, you yes. might just not be very groovy yes you know? this is this is something i've come across a number of profoundly psychically unattractive middle-aged men right. who, because their life has not fallen into the rather pathetic dreams that they cherished in their early 20s sure. where they thought that, really do do they I where mean... they thought they thought that they'd be at least the uh, formula one champion by now yeah and in fact you know they're running a boot shop in a sure. or whatever sure um and and they because they because they're 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 they haven't been able to use their fantasies as a cheerful spur to do a bit better at the stuff that you have to do. Yeah. They've, they've, they're crippled by the fact that they have not become king of the world. It's Yes. expression. And yes. And their reaction to this, a couple of people that I'm thinking of particularly, their reaction to that is to seek some, some letters. I don't know if they've done it from those pasta letters that used to get in soup. But they've pulled some letters out from somewhere and they've self-diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And they now say the reason why all my dreams did not come true is, is not because... because I'm a substantially less good um, uh, football player than, I don't know, Gary Lineker or whatever, who's my generation, whatever. Um, but because of these letters and um, they're used as a block to self-improvement. There's a, They're used as a block to analysis. And also, they are... Um, because then you've got something to hang your hat on, right? You don't need to explore no. anymore. You don't need to reflect because there's this structure there yeah. that you can put the blame on and that you can also hide in because that, that, that then also protects you from uncomfortable experiences. Can't do that because of... Yeah. So, buzzword. so if you are an adult man and who and you did say that you didn't come into work until later because you're worried about your rabbit you would be in most normal workplace circumstances called out on that and yeah. said being a bit worried about your rabbit is no reason to not be you know yeah. turn up because the rest of us are working here as a team um but if you have letters to defend yourself you can say look people who are who are lqh um really struggle with with parting from their rabbits in the morning and so therefore it's a disability discrimination issue sure. if you say yeah. and, and and my one of the reasons why i'm so cross about this is because i think there are people who have really serious problems to deal with and whose lives are limited by their ability to cope and yeah. to have someone else cosplaying a disability yeah. It's a disrespect, it's isn't it? Off. And, and, yeah. and they do tend to choose ones. They don't tend to say, oh, I've diagnosed myself with just a little bit of bone cancer or a little bit of leprosy. It's always something that's not going to actually make that much difference to them. Yes. 
So and it's good. easy now to seek diagnosis. So I had a friend a few years ago who, who was having a lot of complex mental health issues or appeared to be or thought she was. And I, I don't know the depths of that. Look, I, I'm not going to comment there because her struggles were real. I personally, I think because she made them real. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, that that could be interpreted whichever way. And this person spent... I mean, thousands of pounds visiting psychiatrists, mm. thousands to mm. get a diagnosis about what was wrong. Yeah. And the best any of them could do was generalise anxiety disorder. Yeah. Now, if I spent thousands, I want better than that. Yeah. For one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want my own syndrome. I want to be in the DM DSM-5. Yes. Six would be the next one that's out now. So that's out. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I think that 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 is definitely a thing it's it's quite easy now to go along and ask for a diagnosis and be given it mm. i certainly know people that have been diagnosed with autism that i would not put anywhere near a spectrum anywhere no. near see this this is this is one of the reasons why i get so cross about this because i know um i've i've, I've made played some visits in various roles to um the school for children with disabilities around here yeah and there are people there with autism. There are young people there with autism. Most of them are nonverbal. Right. Um, most of them cannot, will never be able to function and live, and live, right. live, and live yeah. an independent life. And for some twonk in his 50s who hasn't married a supermodel, who wakes up aged 54 and realises that his wife, who's a perfectly reasonable woman, is not Al McPherson, and he wants. How dare to, she? And uh, yeah, how dare she not be Elle McPherson? How dare I not be king of the world? Therefore, I've got autism. To me, for the for the, the not just the people themselves with autism, but the people who are coping with profound autism, and whose lives are turned upside down as they are by any dealing with any family member with a profound absolutely, autism, absolutely. It's just an absolute piss take. Action. Well, it does because it introduces them when autism is, you know, part of the conversation. It introduces an element of the eye roll, yeah. which for your genuine sufferers, and it can be it, obviously it's a spectrum, it's a scale. Some people manage very well, but it can be an extremely life experience limiting, yeah, condition yeah. to have. I, I've taught a lot of the nonverbal autistic mm. kids as part of riding for the disabled, and I, I just would not want a child to have that that experience. It's it's horrible. And I mean, so for people to jump over... on that bandwagon is is pretty twisted, actually. Well, I, I I know I shouldn't I shouldn't be I shouldn't find it distressing, but I do, and I yeah. think it's it's part of a kind of cosplay world in a way mm-hmm. that I'm looking for a new identity that'll 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 get me Pathetic, into actually yeah. yeah get me uh, get me out of having to make some changes about my own life or just having to to accept the fact that maybe it doesn't work out or, or listen or, i've got a lovely life but it's not the one i thought i would have that you can't strop out about it or, or i mean and i know this sounds this sounds really terrible this sounds like um this sounds like a, there'll be a nun playing a badly tuned piano in the background that's funny how about getting up in the morning and being grateful for oh, the yeah. things that you have, yes, yeah? is important. I mean, I've, um, I, I don't know that this sounds really mad. It, it also sounds slightly creepy, but bear with. All right. I really like my skin. 
Great. And I wake up first thing in the morning and I sort of say, hello, skin. Um, you're lovely, aren't you? It is good skin. And and um, it, it kind of never lets me down. It's it's reasonable skin. It, 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 it does all the things that skin is supposed to do. And I, it sounds a mad thing. But the, it's the first thing I'm conscious of when I wake up. Um, yeah. Usually the windows are open. So there's fresh air and my skin. It's a great combination. Yeah, great combination. I know. I think that gratitude is important because it's really easy just to reflect on the negatives. Um, and and I think it's as a culture we tend to also look at things maybe not working out, or or anyone who's not the top three percent as as not somehow being a bit of a loser. Yeah. I mean, my thing always was that I was going to go be a top dressage rider. Yeah. As it turns out, I wasn't brave enough. Right. Couldn't ride the horses. Lost my nerve. Couldn't right. deal with it. Yeah. I need a safer horse these days. I'm not up for it. Well, you, well, you can't stick to a diagnosis to to blame that on. That's no. just what happened. Also, also, you see, I would say, and I, I'm I'm going to make a a, a a bit of a a leap here. Almost all the top sports people that I've known have been very very self obsessed. You have to be, I think. And I don't know that you are self-obsessed enough. No. I think you I think you would be driving yourself towards a goal because you're focused, but you would also stop on the way to that goal if you saw a hedgehog about to get run over. Yeah, no, I would. I mean, fundamentally, I'm a caretaker. Yeah. And, and a provider. And, that's, and I enjoy that. And, that's an identity piece for me. There, there is no greater pleasure. I mean, the well the conflict between me and my partner if he tries to pay for something my god because i i, I like to provide and I, and I do like to make other people kind of my central focus that that yeah. comes very naturally to me so yeah i think you're right and I, and I think that 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 is correct that's a personality type and and they have to be like that or else the sacrifices required to get to that yeah. level would grate on a person yeah and wouldn't be possible so in order for that kind of dedication to be shown Self-obsession is a must. Yeah. Or else it would hurt a person. But but actually, but actually, uh, this is then sort of leads on to a sort of a cultural um, point and, and where we get our cultural reference points from. I went yesterday to a funeral I'm of sorry. an extremely nice man, a neighbour, I suppose, who died at the age of 84. Oh, well, that's not bad. And he was an extremely nice man. And the the lives of the people that he touched were really enriched by how nice he was, yeah? But we don't live in a culture that reflects people like him. No, and you're he, right, we don't. He, in, a, in a week, he would give a 100 small doses of niceness to different people, his family, his friends, his neighbours, yeah? He was full of fun. Um, and you know, he was an unselfish person, just a generally good egg. Yes. And, and I think of when did I last see a cultural representation of a decent person, yeah? Because, obviously, we look for sensational stories. We do. And I think that the good stories that are really entertaining, they, they require a degree of extremism in some way yeah. in order for 
for there to be a catalyst for things to happen. Yes. yes. Because people that are just kind of trucking along in their lives and being good, uh, that's wonderful. And for the people that knew him, it sounds like a real gift to have known him. Yeah. That he's not going to capture, though those stories won't capture the attention of an audience for an hour and a half. No. But I suppose, so I suppose my point is this. If you live in a war, uh, in, in a world where uh, Watt, he was called Watt, where... where um, it's a very old-fashioned name. Yeah. Um, uh, Watkin win Watkin. Um, as he used to say, so good they named me twice. That's um, nice. I and, like that. And um, if you live in a world where your neighbours, where you gain most of your information about the world from your friends and neighbours, right? They're not all going to be as nice as what, yeah? They're, other people are going to be snobbish or spiteful or vile or whatever, yeah? But you but you stand a chance of those gentle and unextreme voices playing into your psyche. Yeah. If your diet entirely is composed of true crime podcasts, for example, much as I love a true crime podcast, yeah, you you're not getting the the background color that you need to give you a balanced view of life is what I'm you saying. Just describe me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Then I come and do this. But 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 no, that's not true because you do lots of other things. I deny you it, gain, yeah. I'm slightly joking. <laughs> you gain your views from lots of different places, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I suppose that's my 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 point is that as that the um perhaps the the quieter notes in the symphony of life are drowned out a bit. And but they're important. You'd notice if they weren't there. Absolutely, I, you would. I think that as I as I get older, uh, and so my perception of what's important changes. Yeah. And I think that. When one is younger, you feel like you need to have main character energy, yeah. and that you are the main character. Yeah. As I get on it, and particularly as I experience life differently, you know, now with stepchildren, I've realised the value that you can give just by inputting into someone else's reality. Yeah. And the, and that the value you add can be what you mean to other people and your influence on other people. Yeah, and I've understood that part of our purpose is just to create that next generation and and to be a good influence and eventually a good memory. Yes, yes, and I think I think there's no reason why that has to be a biological thing. Um, no, it, it, you know, you you, for example, with all the people that you teach, yes, you you create. Um, create a lot of um uh, a lot of good feeling um and you give them things that they take into other parts of their lives yes yeah and that can be a very long-standing relationship i mean i've got people that i've taught now for nearly 10 years yeah. Um. So. So. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I think it depends on the on the lens that we view it through. But. But like I say, you know, if if you're going to tell a story that's going to captivate people, so someone trundling along, is probably going to be a, a mention and a side character. Yeah. 
Otherwise, yes. what's the story here? Uh, agreed. That's that's the point. But that's stories round the fire, you know, being that people say this is one of the first things that we ever, reasons why we ever developed language is to tell stories around the fire. Mm -hmm. um, they're always about monsters and heroes. Yeah, sure. Because that's what's going to get you going, right? Yeah. Because I think if you're just describing everyday life, well, I've just lived that. For 12 yeah. hours i'm fine thank you without that yeah. i think now that we have the visual mediums and we and we can have these things directly into our homes on a screen on a tv it makes it easier to directly relate ourselves into that material and yes. maybe feel like that's how we should be living yes as opposed to something about going to the opera which yeah. i love mm. but it's three blokes singing their heads off all standing behind one chair and we have to pretend that no one else can see them yeah so there's a, an aspect of suspending your disbelief about that where yeah. you buy into the story and it's wonderful fun but you're also really really conscious that that's not real yeah and everyone can see carabino in the chair yes but with things now and i'm not saying it's a bad thing because you know art in every medium is fantastic and, and the tv shows that the cgi it's really incredible. I think the ability to separate yeah. the entertainment from what our everyday experience should be. Yes. As visible in um Black Mirror episode Joan is awful. Right. Really artfully done, go and watch yeah. it. It makes that quite clear in that the, the, the line between entertainment and reality is becoming very, very thin. Yes. And I think then that that can lead to a great deal of dissatisfaction. Yes. Because not everybody has the budget to look like a Kardashian. No, they don't look like the way they started out. They're on evolution 16.5. Yeah. And, and I think then with the tendency to compare, that then creates a gap and it creates the, the capacity for people to look at their lives and go, well, that doesn't seem good enough anymore. Yes. Because I so, can't just, you know, I'm not daredevil. It's 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 funny you say that because um, uh, I, I'm always quite interested in a sense about why, given that we are physically better off than we've ever been, yes. why so many people are so unhappy? Yeah. And um, apart from, you know, Nietzsche and the death of God, which is another another uh, podcast, um, apart from the fact that perhaps, you know, many people have lost touch with the idea of the infinite or whatever, um, I'm sure that there is this element of comparison uh, which 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 is really corrosive but do we know that we're unhappier now or are we just able to talk about it because oh. in times gone by you might not be able to speak to anyone outside of your village whereas now you can broadcast your emotions to the entire planet true i think that's a really really good point um i don't know i i suppose i don't suppose that the absolute global amount of unhappiness has gone up but i sure. think the amount of discontent has gone up discontent maybe because i can't you know there have been seriously challenging times in the past the plague of justinian wouldn't have been a jolly episode no definitely not but there wasn't the information sharing right you wrote a letter or you wrote something on a wall yeah and, and that was that so there was also there may be less room for comparison because there were the serfs there were the lords and there was the king and, yeah. and you had lots of people that were kind of in the same lot as you, whereas now we have this uh, ability to, by degrees, vary our experience. Yes. 
Yeah, as opposed to, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you did envy your neighbour's horse. Yeah. Maybe you did look at it and go, it's bloody shiny, isn't it? God. Yeah. Look at that thing we've got. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe. I, I mean, we can't know because people weren't talking about it. And, but then there were just other great big logistical challenges. No one was listening to women or teaching yeah. them to write. So we don't know what that experience was. But I doubt that they loved it because, you know, women then will have been the same as women now. Yeah. Probably, you know, a great deal of discontent there. But it just didn't matter because you could give her a smack and tell her to shut up. So she probably would. Because getting beaten is unpleasant, and and then they, you know, so. But then the, you the... see, then you see, my argument would be, at that point, you get a smack, and your brother lives next door, and he comes and smacks your your husband, and I think I think, I, I'm not I'm not putting forward uh, an idea of a of a kind of pre modern paradise. But I just think that um, I think that one of the things about modern life is the way in which you can feel very unsupported, and if you uh, if you're unsupported, and you've also got dangled in front of your eyes the question, um, you know that there's a meme, isn't there, that says, "Ladies, what's stopping you looking like this?" Or, oh, uh, yeah, well, it's basically it started off as a very sexist, you know, are you beach body ready type of picture? Oh, right. And it said, ladies, what's stopping you looking like this? And since then, of course, lots of women have taken and had great fun with it. And they usually take somebody from from history and or or they say, you know, here's a picture of Polar with his shirt off and they're saying, chaps, what's stopping you looking like this? Oh, yeah, I've got one for men and it's of the Joker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, so the the question of what's stopping you living like a Kardashian? Yeah. Um, The answer is you're not one. It's in a sense, no more valid a question than what's stopping you living like a rhinoceros. You're not one. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, so so I I I do I do agree. I th- I think that yeah, the the potential for discontent has grown, and and I think that's because we have a greater pool of people now that we air quotes have to listen to. Yeah, because we've got influencers and blue ticks on social yeah. media. And celebrities coming out of the walls. I mean, you only yeah. need a certain amount of followers now to make you an authority on something. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of people are peddling discontent because they're selling something. Yeah. You know, yeah. why do why do we have to hate belly fat? Because I've got a supplement for that. Yes. Whereas actually by a certain age, it's perfectly reasonable for a person to have some belly fat. Yeah. And actually, I'd say that if you're on the beach and you have a body, then you are a beach body. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Obviously, it should be your body, not someone else's. Don't yeah. murder people. Actually, one of the things I would say, um, and I think this is one of the saddest and most ironic aspects of modern life, is that um, perhaps uh, perhaps I'm wrong, but it's it's part to be part due to my love affair with my own skin. Um, I um, I think 
that if you hate every aspect of your own body, you're unlikely to have a happy sex life. Okay. Because you're unlikely to respect the choice of the person who chooses to spend some time with your body because you think they're an idiot. Yeah. In some level. That's interesting. And I... I, I mean, I, I would see this as a, a as a discontent of women, but increasingly it's a discontent of young men as well. Yeah. They think that they need to look like X in order to be, to find someone to love them. Right. And in fact, they need to be like X. And X is a nice person. Yeah. yeah. And, and so one of the things that... Um, always strikes me is is the way in which women particularly but it, it is true for men as well are expected to present themselves in a certain stereotypical way because if they do that they will then find um, someone to love the approval tick I, th- I think that that's especially I think it is especially becoming true for young men as well I, I, I yeah. think that that, that young men are, are among the demographic who actually have it the toughest at the minute. Yeah, I would agree. In today's yeah. demographic, because I mean, God help you if you're under six, you know, like six foot. Yeah. For example. Um, although I don't know where that really comes from, because when I talk to my friends and air quote real women, it, we don't really hold those standards. No. You know, I mean, my, my, partner's nowhere near six foot he hasn't got a six pack and I think he's just the most beautiful man I've ever seen yeah 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 absolutely so you know whatever but (laughs) um uh, yeah I think it's difficult for for men particularly out there right now I think it's there are a lot of impossible standards to be held up to um it seems like they have to be a provider, a champion, also in touch with their feminine side yes uh, an entrepreneur but really good at family life it's like oh my god what do you want Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. For, absolutely. For one person to be all things is just impossible. And and I think one of the things that I uh, that I think is sad about that is uh, the loss of what I would almost call a kind of, I suppose, hometown romance in the sense that you can find somebody who just does it for you. Yes. And there's a there's a fantastic song that. Yeah. I think Nancy Griffiths wrote, and um, the chorus is, you stood me still and you always will. Right? Oh. And it starts off with, I see you in your Sunday best with your father's tie across your chest. And it's a person she's known for a long time. And every time she sees him, he stands her he still. Stands her still. And it's such a, it's such a, a romantic image but it's not an unobtainable image. You know, he's someone who doesn't own a tie when she first sees him. Yeah, sure. He's not He's not Christian Black, for, or whatever his name is, from Fifty Shades of Grey, Christian Grey. He's not Christian that at Grey, all. Yeah. He's, not, he's not, you know, a chiselled world entrepreneur. He's a lad borrowing his dad's tie. And I saw, you know, I saw a really... Um... A really interesting meme actually about the Fifty Shades of Grey thing, right? Which, which pointed out a rather unattractive point about our society, which is that the role that wealth can play in how someone is perceived. Yeah. Because it pointed out that if Christian Grey had lived in a in a trailer, that would have been an episode of CSI. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. 
absolutely. And I thought, yeah, you know what? This is just a real arsehole who likes to beat up women and call it sex, but it's fine because yes. he's a billionaire. Yes. <laughs> well, but then we get we get back we get back to the Kardashians and the whole idea that um, your lifestyle is the most important thing about you, and um, it really isn't. The way you treat other human beings is the most important thing Absolutely. about about you. And um, you know, it was quite it was quite fascinating. I'm quite obviously. Uh, you know, it, 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 what lived all his life in the house where he was born. Wow. And he never wanted to go anywhere else. He liked home best. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I suppose what I'm, I'm using him slightly as a, as a, a, a kind of a stereotype, and I've got to be careful because that's not true. But I suppose... I wonder where our restlessness gets us. And it's lovely to think about wandering and achieving and finding and discovering. But actually, there there also has to be a certain thing about being, and, and this gets back to the question you were asking about whether you sort out things in your own life, right? Yeah. Or you go for a diagnosis. Um, I know... A, a few, not many, but I know a few people who literally live for their three-week holiday and their whole life is bent towards this three weeks, yeah? A lot and of pressure to put on something, isn't it? It is. And I, the question I'd ask is, what about the 49 other weeks? There's and that, so and I think it's I mean, it's interesting hearing about what and how he grew up in the house he was born in, and, and I like that for him, and it sounds like it really worked for him and, it, and that he was a lovely, lovely man. I just wonder as well, because there's there's a lot out there in our popular culture about the journey, the Hobbit, again, yes, there and yeah, back again, yeah. about someone going yeah. out, coming back. And I wonder then about how we rate our experiences, because we I don't think we can hold up one model of living yeah. as just the right way to do it. No. no For example, I, I was born in London. Yeah. And then I went down to the New Forest and was there for a number of years. So that was great. And now I'm in Kent. Yeah. And, and and later this year, I'll be moving on again and we're not sure where to yet. So I think a sense of home is important. A sense of belonging is important. But I, I don't feel that that necessarily needs to come from a place. No, no. I, I don't think that think that can come from your own identity. And I definitely think that that can come from people. Oh, I, I, yeah, I completely I completely agree. And I also think but I also think one of the things about them. OK, I'll tell you what I saw someone posting something on Facebook about their child who'd gone off, quote, travelling, unquote. Right. Yep. And partly because of our financial situation and partly because I have always told my children that one thing Africa produces a lot of is unqualified teenagers. Right. And if they want to do something, they need to get some skills and take them there. Yeah, yeah. I was contrasting between Henrietta, you know, uh, at the cutting edge of making peace in Uzbekistan and this kid going off backpacking. And uh, the business of the hero quest came to mind because yeah. uh, apparently, um, so cultural theorists tell us, the reason for that 
is that any settled community needs to have someone who's had experiences of outside. Otherwise, when something unexpected happens, a new animal arrives, right? No, everyone yeah, no knows, knows to how to kill a puma because we've seen pumas before, yeah? Suddenly, uh, a mammoth comes in. Right. It's your adaptable hero who's been on the quest and come back. I've seen one of these before. This is what you do. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Or when faced with a challenge like this, we need to put all our ideas together and also look at what materials we've got, etc. Right. So it could just be the problem solving skill. And I suppose what I what I'm sort of wondering is uh whether what we've done is we've created some fake hero quests mm -hmm. for people to go on. Yeah. Uh, where they usually go to a part of the world. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who 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 came from a, a North Indian background said they turn up in our village where we can barely afford to live and expect for us to feed them because because right. they're having an experience. Yeah? It to, yeah, yeah. Well, my um, experience, he would say, is that my child's got diarrhoea again because yeah. we have fresh water. That's our experience. So bugger off. With your with your north face, I think it can be quite arrogant, can't it, to assume that just your presence is going to make things better somewhere. Well, I think well, that's quite self indulgent. Yeah, I mean, but what I suppose what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, what is the quest, and is the quest just going somewhere? And what's the difference between the quest and a holiday? It's like, is and 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 yeah, I'll just go for a long walk or something like what. Or, yeah. or, or it 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 it's slightly it's slightly uh, what Jim calls me because half of my children, as you know, are currently overseas in worrying enough areas of high seismic activity, which sure. I realized the other day. Um, yeah. And but they're doing things. Yeah. And the idea that um, working class people go on holiday, middle class people travel. Oh, bugger off. If your kid's yomping around Thailand in a whole load of North Face kit you bought for them, they're not travelling, they're on a big holiday. Yeah? yeah. And, yeah. you know, come back again when you can tell me something interesting about the place you've been. Yeah? But that's me being me being slightly uh, uh, slightly cynical about this. It's, it's, it's the word travelling I hate. Yeah. Um, because one group of my friends would say, oh, my son's got a job picking grapes on a farm in Australia. Okay. And they'd say he's going out there to work. Another people would say, Jocasta's travelling. Yeah? And you just know which one is actually going to engage with the place they've gone to. The person that's doing yeah. a job. But there we yeah. are. That's well, they're going to make real connections and have real relationships. I mean, as opposed to myself. So I went to Vienna last week for work. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, for a trip that was hugely beneficial personally in lots of ways. But I have to say, in business terms, completely unnecessary. Right. It could have been a Zoom call right. and would have had just as much value, to be quite honest. Lovely to meet the guys. Lovely to go for a beer. I had schnitzel three times in a row. It was mint. <laughs> but... The, the actual value of me physically being in that place, I think, was questionable. And I think that throws up questions then about where we apply resource and, and where money is spent needlessly, again, when it could be funneled somewhere else. I think that's something that's come up for us quite a bit. Yes. 
but Vienna, beautiful city, definitely go and see it. It's so clean. I, I would do yeah. five second rule off of their pavements with food, no problem. I know I'm a horsey girl, but yeah. even so, that, that place was gleaming. But one of the things that that raises to me, and I know we've talked about it before, um, someone got in touch with me today about a project that I'm working on. And she said, um, she said, I, are you managing this project? And I said, yes. And so uh, I said, well, let's have a conversation. And she said, Zoom or phone. And I said, well, actually, can't we just meet up and have a cup of coffee? Because yeah. I it's relatively local. And I thought to myself, um, have I now got to the point where after such a long time of all Zooms, and I do love a Zoom, I'm, you know, love a Zoom now, enjoying a Zoom now. Yes. I can't help thinking that the two experiences are slightly different. And if I'm thinking about dealing someone into something and I haven't met them before, I would quite like to see them face to face. I guess. No, I, I get that. Although I think, so my experience of going there, and I wondered if it would be different presenting to a room of people again as opposed to online, yeah. but it wasn't. No. No, stuff went up on the screen. We spoke about it. We I cracked the same jokes. We had a laugh. Yeah. Um, the difference was that they took me outside in between the sessions and gave me a coffee so strong I saw God. Ah! <laughs> my goodness, yeah. Austrian, they call it... Um, Oh, I don't know, something melange, vina melange or something. It's right. got honey in it. And it did, the, I mean, it took 15 years off my life expectancy because of what it did to my <laughs> heart rate. I mean, I don't think I'll ever be the same again. And I'm amazed that I went to sleep. It was very nice. But yeah, molecularly changed me. But the, the experience of being in the room with them and, and giving that information over wasn't different. But then is that because I'm someone with integrity and therefore... I'm not different in any capacity because I come to the room with what I've got. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, because I, as much as like, so you love your skin. Yeah. And that's your thing. I like the fact that I'm always myself. Yes. I'm authentically myself. And I yeah. don't struggle with that. And I'm I, right. that's that's my thing that I'm grateful for. But you are always, it's true. Um, you're always, it's interesting because, um, I know I've probably said this to you before. Um, there's a Welsh word, cusson, which means always the same. You know? Right. And when I talk about people being cusson, I mean that, that and you are one, where, wherever you are broken like a stick of rock, it would say AD all the <laughs> yeah, way through. It. <laughs> and it wouldn't matter how long the stick of rock was, um, brr, brr, Dr. Freud, um, it wouldn't matter how long or how thick the stick of rock was, it would always say the same. And I think that's, and I then translate that into English as integrity. But I'm using it also in a slightly different sense, in the sense that integrity in English shades off into honesty. Yeah. And trustworthiness. Whereas yeah. I suppose Kasson shades further off into consistency. Got it. Um, and uh, it, but then me, integrity and consistency are linked if you think about they it. They are. They are. Yeah. It, well, well, there's there's consistency, integrity, and honesty, and they're all three of them. I mean, are they? Can we really separate them out? Because I can't. Well, I think it. they're standalone, but I think they link up. 
yes you know like little usb connectors you could yeah they'll work on their own but you can plug them into each other but it's difficult to imagine somebody having one of those qualities without two of the others yeah yeah because without it because if you had it without the others then it morphs into a kind of insincerity right because then someone's pretending yes yes so that to me it's it's probably the only thing about a person that ultimately really matters yeah i think actually big big um big statement people there's a song that says only kindness matters don't agree only this integrity consistency honesty triangle actually really matters i think so as well because kindness can be done for unsavory reasons it can be a tactic it can be false yeah or it can be it can be um a sign sometimes people act in a kind way out of dishonesty yeah so they say this is particularly with friends they say um I don't think I can, how do they put it? I I should criticise Mav for this thing that she's doing that's harming herself. Right. Um, but I'll be kind and just let it run. Right. Well, that's kindness, but it's also weakness. Yes, it is. And, and that's not always acting with someone's best interests at heart you know it's like disciplining kids it's horrible right but you have to do it because you have a responsibility to that person to make sure that they don't grow up to be a massive moron well it's interesting that you say that because i think that's one of the biggest instances of where um where parents especially because they often don't have enough time to spend with their children and they feel guilty they assume that yielding is the same as being kind. Right. And, you know, you can uh, register a a short-term gain because you're not having a row about bedtime. But the long-term cost of that is the fact that the person doesn't learn that it need they need to self-regulate. Oh, it's so salient for me because you think we could get the kids to bed this weekend? Um. Do you think we can do it? I had this experience. So this is my this is my sort of first experience of parental discipline in a way, and the guilt that can come with that, and the emotional arc that can come with that. So long story short, kids wouldn't go to bed. They were, I, I mean, I almost called a priest. You, you know, Valiant milkshakes are a thing, right? Is that fine to do? Because they were just so full of beans. We can't sleep. We can't sleep. They're running up and down. Then of course my stepson falls over. Then he's crying. Then people are up. Then it's then it's it's too dark. It's too this. It's too that. Anyway, to 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 summarise the story without dragging you through every detail, I was supposed to give my stepdaughter a riding lesson on the Sunday, right? And eventually, I had to say, "Look, riding lessons now are contingent on you going to sleep." Yeah, yeah. And that didn't happen for about another hour and a half. Yeah. And the upshot is that I ended up sleeping on the sofa because the arrangement ended up all over the place. I just needed them to go to bed. Just needed to go to sleep. I ended up sleeping on the sofa, not really for very long. I had to get up and teach Pony Club the next day as well. So I'd made this statement and I'd made this decision when I was still cross in the evening, right? We're not doing this riding lesson. We're just not going to do it. Yeah. And then I I can't remember what time, six, half past six, she comes out to find me in the front room, crawls into my arms, falls back to sleep. And oh my God, that moment. Yeah. 
and then I'm just so full of this glow yeah where I'm like oh my baby you know uh, yeah. it's just so wonderful that I'm then like oh god what do I do and then ended up speaking to my partner and I did actually stick to it and we didn't do the riding lesson because I, I thought it was important to follow through yeah. on that but it was really hard in that moment yes. to stick to that even though it was the right thing yeah it was a lesson in consequences it was a lesson in respect yes for what people are telling you and all those things are important and that's a duty that we have to yeah. our children to impart those values to them yeah. because of that lovey-dovey moment in the morning where we're all cuddly I found it so tough to stick to it and I felt so bad it's 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 horrible it's absolutely horrible and it's one of the reasons why so many people actually um in a culture where we're encouraged to seek the things which are pleasant rather than the things which are right okay right. um i mean this is a true true story uh, about a, a kid who uh, was in a small primary school near here um, and just never turned up in the mornings. Right. And the teacher said, well, he's really missing out. And his mother said, Archie isn't a morning person. Oh. Right? <laughs> and and the, the head teacher, who was actually, you know, 100% right here, she said, but what's happening is he doesn't turn up until 2 o'clock, just before the afternoon session, right? Right. We don't have afternoon play. So yeah. he has no opportunity to socialise with his friends. And I don't know, he, he, he said to the mum, I don't know if you've noticed, but he doesn't get invited to things because they forget about him. So there's social exclusion because he's not an entity, he's not part of the day. Yeah, and um, the, 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 um, the, the mother said, oh, but he's a great film buff. He was seven. Right. He loves to stay up and watch a movie. So no, no, no. No. So the so the teacher said, Okay, he's a great film buff. Give him his supper early and put a movie in front of him at six so that at seven thirty or eight o'clock the movie's over and then he goes to bed. Yeah. Right? Well this is what the weekend's for, no? Yeah, ex ex exactly. But the mother basically was saying um that she would not confront the child at all under any no. circumstances well life will confront him unfortunately well what happened was that Archie himself under counselling from the head teacher who said to him look do you not want to be involved in things wouldn't you like to be able to join some of the projects we're doing etc etc and he then started to say no mummy I'm going to bed at half a seven right because he felt he was losing out but it took him such a long time to get there. Yeah, he, sure. It's three and a half years. But he self-regulated in the end, and it's kind of sad that he did have to self-regulate. I mean, I'm glad for Archie that he did. Yeah. Because he'll have a fuller experience for it. But yeah, and it's it's look, it is it is difficult, and it it feels I, I think potentially as well where if your own job is stressful and maybe your entire day is full of confrontation. Yeah. So by the time it comes to the evening, then you're like, oh, do you know what? Not one more difficult conversation. Yeah. But yes. it, like I said, the fact that it isn't easy doesn't mean it isn't right and you still have to get on and do it. And I also think there's something to be said for dealing with a problem once. And yes. I haven't had this experience with the children yet. I've no. not been in this position long enough, but I have had it with animals. Not saying the two yeah. are the same, but no, the, no. the parallels are considerable. No. Where actually, as much as it can be unpleasant to do the disciplining, there is a real benefit to just dealing with something one time and not having yeah. it crop back up again. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I also think 
I mean, if you can remember your own childhood, early childhood, I remember thinking about as much as I could get away with. And wherever the, wherever the, I mean, I remember conversation with, with, with my sister Helen, for example, um, about whether or not we, how long were the prayers we had to say, right? right. And um, we were both of us howling with laughter. We've got a Protestant daddy. So he doesn't know how many prayers we have to say. So no, of course. Daddy's so you could be like, ah, I'm done. <laughs> daddy's putting us to bed. Yeah. Um, we used to do the whole litany of the Blessed Virgin when Daddy was putting us to bed. It would be an hour and 25 minutes. We'd be on our knees. And we thought we were winning because we were staying up late. Sure. And the other thing, the other thing which um, was a, a genius on my father's part, I thought, was we faked being afraid of the dark. Oh, yeah, familiar so with that one. The door now. was allowed to be opened a crack, yeah? yeah? And that meant that when that had been all negotiated, it was then shut down time, really. You wouldn't get away with it, really. Yeah, my, my partner's just spent money on nightlights for exactly that same argument. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But But the other thing that is, I think, about bedtime that is a really important thing to remember and not as much talked about because of liberal parenting ideas is they are small physical beings and unless like Archie didn't get up till half past one yeah by if if they were up at half past seven had breakfast at eight which is a normal sort of child type routine by nine o'clock they are physically shattered mm-hmm. and they've got beyond the, with a baby you can tell the cry of a baby who's too tired to sleep. Yeah. And with a youngster, it's interesting you said that there was running about and then there was falling over, yeah? Because that is the point where they're not behaving in that time as they were at three o'clock in the afternoon, are they? No, no, no. And and they have got to a point where they are way, way too tired. They, they were totally wired. Yeah. Totally and- wired. And one of the things I always think um, about that is, for all of us, uh, there's a reluctance to change state. So if I'm sitting on the sofa now, the thought that I might have to go to the kitchen for something, I'm slightly reluctant about that. Because you have to be, yeah, and I think we're not good at de-escalating ourselves, are we? Particularly when young, yeah. So it's a bit like, you know, when you come home from work and your head is full of work for 20 minutes, and then hopefully you have some other distraction that means that you, 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 you've changed state. I think you need energy to change state. And children, when they get to that super tired thing, haven't got enough energy to go from... Oh, I'd the, agree. That's, the, that was kind of the experience thing. we had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. But, yeah. but uh, ultimately, I mean, here's, we, here's the thing we used, to do, we used to do, which worked quite a bit this did work quite well is you'd sort of just ask them whether they'd like a happy dream right and no child will say no I'd like a nightmare and so I used to do this thing where I I pretended to be a bird that could lay a dream egg in their hand so that I, I land on their hand I say close your hand up quickly right keep your fist tight go to bed straight away and if you put that on your pillow, you'll have a lovely dream. 
I'll give that a go this weekend and I shall let you know in the next episode if it's but, any good. But, but it will not work when they're completely wired. No, that's, it has to be done before. That's that's one, yeah. And, and oh, do you know, I've heard so many, everyone's got their own, um, everyone's got their own thing that they did to make children feel sleepy. You yeah. know, some people say another bath. Oh my God. Yeah. But then I've got to run a bath. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, or the other thing is, I suppose, just, you know, boring them into submission. Part of the problem was that we've forgotten storybooks. Anyway, I don't need to get into that too much. Obviously, obviously backhanders are frowned upon for good reason. <laughs> so it shan't go that far. But having just, I think, I think, I think the, the thing that is the crucial thing is almost monitoring the physical state. And if you can see yeah. that you're getting into the wired state, yeah. um, act act quickly. But of course, it, the sad thing, which is one of those difficult parts of parenting, is when they're really happy and excited, they get wired more quickly. Well, that's the thing. And it's difficult because the four of us together, we just have the most tremendous amount of fun. Yeah. And therefore, I think I don't self-regulate well. Okay in a disciplined yeah. way to say, right, we've got to wrap this up and stop this now. Yeah. Because it's all hijinks and laughs and watching Is It Cake and, it, and it's a, a great time. Yeah. So there's a part of me that also needs to engage some self-discipline, which I'm not notoriously full of. Well, well, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, this is a thought. Why not make a child and, and alternate the roles the evening's timekeeper hmm. and set them an alarm, you know, get give them a kitchen timer or something, and that then they can be the person that announces, it's time to stop doing this now. Oh, God, that's love. That's brilliant. So then they take, then they become the person that says, come on. They are the fun controller. They are the fun controller. But don't do it just for bedtime. Bedtime will be the last of a series of things. So, yeah, so you have to do it for, like, dinner time, clear-up time, bath yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. You could even give them a hat to could wear. give them a hat. Time, a hat. A time knows I've got enough cardboard boxes. Yeah. Uh, make them a hat with a, with a clock painted on could the side. Could make a fun controller hat. Yes. Do you know, I think that's a fine idea. I shall let you know how that experiment goes. We'll give it give it a go. And if they're up even longer, you owe me 50 quid. Listen, <laughs> Those I are my conditions. To, I want to get I want to get back to something that we were talking about. We we're talking about this business about consistency. And I was thinking about uh an aspect of this this week and I wanted to share it with you, which is about how um with people that I know, um, I tend to either give them my trust or not. Right. Right. Doesn't mean to say, particularly in a work context, I can't deal with people who I don't trust at all because there are people I don't trust at all I still have to deal with. Yeah. But. But then if you can't trust someone at all, is that does that then make them trustworthy in a way? Well, in some senses, yes, because because I've got I've got customers like that who I can trust to be dishonest. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I know at least one chap that I've done quite a bit of work with 
who, as somebody pointed out to me, if you swallow the nail, he'd shift a screw. He's so twisted. <laughs> which I thought was quite a funny, That's funny. A funny way of describing it. Yeah. And it's all right, as long as you know that that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. But, but um, then I was thinking about politicians, and I was thinking, I probably demand the same level of trust you know, I want to know where they are in terms of how much I can trust them. And am I being totally unrealistic? Because, um, you know, as I say, I can manage dealing with people who I don't particularly trust. But it's just I'm expecting them to be consistent. And sometimes I come across somebody who uh, appears to be quite patchy. They've got some ideas I like. And they sometimes appear to be behaving with what I think is proper integrity. Yeah. Sometimes they're behaving like an, you know, an absolute maniac. And is See, those it people fair, are more difficult in a way, aren't they? Is it fair to demand the same standards of consistency of people in public life that you don't actually know? Is it is to demand that consistency that you you admire in people that you like? Yes and no. Oh, I think that, oh, we said this before, there is in current celebrity culture a demand for a higher standard of morality and a real intolerance for people being real people. Yeah. So there's that. And we have this almost intolerance of mistakes and, and a real lack of forgiveness culture, which we've yeah. discussed previously. However, I do, there's a part of me that goes, morality is morality. And everyone should be held to the basic standards of morality, whether you are a bin man or the president of the United States. And there's nothing that should exclude you from a requirement for honesty, integrity and and just handling yourself right. No, I I agree. I I completely agree. Um, But I suppose because you know that I'm I'm this pathetic middle of the road um, political creature nothing pathetic about emo um i i can so often hear someone talking about a program something yeah and to do and i say i quite like that and then i think no that will never work and so i find myself having demanding consistency from people and that they should have this set of of well worked out ideas that i can you know that i can hear about then I've, I I act like it's a pick and mix because I'm... I understand you. Okay, yeah, I think that we all are probably guilty of that particular brand of hypocrisy, to be honest. Because yeah. well, it, it works two ways, doesn't it? Because I think that we're more tolerant of our own mistakes than we are of other people's because yes. we can all justify our own actions yes. to a degree. You know, so like at work, if I forget to do something, it's like, well, I had too much on, yeah. or well, I was doing this. Yeah. If someone else forgets to do something, I'm like, what a wanker. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there kind of is that. Yes. And I think that's then fairly built in. Although I do have a tendency to forgive other forgive other people easier than I do forgive myself. So maybe that comes back around in another sort of way. Yeah, I, I think that we all bring our own selfish agenda, don't we? I, I think that we see the world ultimately as consumable. And therefore, that means that other people's actions and and how they approach things mean something different to our own. Yes. 
yes and i suppose i suppose i'm conscious again of my own inconsistency in the sense that i actually don't think there'll be enough money to go around if we're not quite capitalist because i think that's the motivation that makes good things happen that can it ultimately is. be shared well, some buggers are hoarding it all as well but that's a separate yeah, argument. but yeah that's the second part of it mm. but equally i don't think we need to make a society that's totally unfair and so so this is my it's that tricky balance isn't it and it really is like like balancing a bowling ball on the head of a pin yeah yeah it, it is where does fairness then tip over to make it unfair for some and not others? It's this constant tessellation back and forth. Yeah. And 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 I've I've realized, because I was talking about this with a friend last week, and I've realized that my absolute pet hate is um any form of performative political statements where people are telling me that they're all in favor of X. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. and uh return of the slogan yeah yeah way to miss the point <laughs> yeah and you think to yourself okay you're all in favor of this you, you know you, you you you're you're telling me that i shouldn't eat meat you fly six times a year mate and i sheep that grew in the field next door i used to know a militant vegan who drove a range rover there we are you see yeah. um and and so and so what what I don't like is uh, the way in which perhaps political ideas have become a form of behaviour code. And it's assumed that everyone agrees with the behaviour code. Yeah. And it, I don't really care which tribe you're talking about. Actually. Yeah. I don't care whether you're talking about Bible Belt Americans or whether you're talking about North London dinner parties, any tribe where everyone shares the same views about everything makes me deeply uneasy. And this, yeah. is, this is because I'm so much of a middle of the road freak. No, it's not. I just think that that it's, it, it just can become that form of extremism. And, and when you get that extremism, you get this lack of ability to see potential or to change anything because if you come out with such a hardcore stance about something it's then very difficult to backpedal yes only a sith deals in absolutes yes right so if you're saying this is always concretely this situation yeah then that that is and the implication is that then nothing else can ever be true yes but if we just look at the world with any kind of objective lens it's clear that everything is a bit more complicated than that yes and a lot of situations and a lot of people will fall under certain situations or rules or banners but then what what do you do with your edge cases and there will yeah. always be plenty of those so yeah. for anybody to truly be seen and to experience the world as a pure individual extreme points of view just can't really be possible because of the polarizing nature of that and and of course how you have to be aware of the law of unintended consequences. Correct. Uh, and I was listening to uh, a bloke yesterday who was talking about um, his work in the US Department of Homeland Security, believe it or not. And he said, of course, we change the rules to allow unaccompanied minors to come over the border. Sure. 
and 90% of them ended up being sex trafficked. Jesus. And so you think you have this lovely rule that means children can come to a better life. But they shouldn't always be doing that because in what circumstance are they doing that? Yeah, yeah. And so and I was just thinking that's such a perfect example. It's really heavy, um, isn't it? How but it's difficult, can... isn't it? Because then, okay, so then they've ended up being sex trafficked, but then the, the intention for that rule was good. So exactly. where do you place that decision? Exactly. Because then the ones that are genuine, should they be turned back? Or, or would you go like, you know, you're being trafficked? Yeah. And just wait and see, because the ones that are being trafficked are not going to go, yeah, they've yeah. already been told to shut up. So uh, I think it's that is one of those slightly impossible situations, because what's the alternative? Yes. I mean... But, but so that this is so this is what I, I sort of, so this is why I, I get this is the sort of why I get cross about the performative thing is that someone says, well, yes, it's obviously right. Unaccompanied minors should be allowed in if yeah. they come to the border. No, maybe that's if that if this is the outcome for them. Maybe we need to stop talking about an abstract principle and think about how we could make their lives better. Or, or, or put the frameworks in place, because then the the unfortunate thing on the other side of that is a subject that is very unpopular with any kind of conservative population, and that is a structure of social support. Yeah. So yeah, unaccompanied minors should probably be able to cross the border, but then they should be taken to a facility and supported while we work out what's going on with these people Absolutely. and, and Absolutely. get them put into some kind of secure yeah. framework where yes. they'll be looked after and you know nourished and and, and allowed to thrive, right? Or or Which better costs taxpayer money or, <laughs> that or, never goes down well. Or better still, have a situation where you can process in a reasonably effective and um coherent way the whole bloody family together right they'd be way better off with mum and papa as well yeah, yeah. um yeah. and yeah. where they still exist i guess you always but then i think edge cases yeah edge yeah. cases i'm gonna have to wrap this up now because i have to join a work call now at half past seven right most well, unfortunately because i could happily carry that on and maybe we revisit it a bit next time yeah. um but thanks again for the really great and, conversation and you and uh, i'm glad you weren't all the time tripping through the wildflowers in the hills of austria oh my god <laughs> you know just, just really really strong coffee and super clean pavements that's my takeaway from it really <laughs> it's I'll, a I'll, place. I'll see you next week see you next Cheers, week Bye-bye. be good bye-bye, bye-bye.